Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Bird. I am joined, as always, in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. And Tim, as you know, sometimes we record this show Monday morning. Sometimes we, we record this show Tuesday morning, and every time we discuss it, and every time I forget it. And so on Sunday, when I was listening to the Mets game, thinking there was a possibility we'd be recording Monday, and I hear the news that that Jeff McNeil has left the game with a hamstring injury, that Michael Conforto has left the game with a hamstring injury, just adding to this incredible existential rash of injuries to this team, I think, okay, this is the rock bottom moment. And if we, we do a show Monday, you know, we can say it's only going to get better from here because there's no way they could they could be hit with even worse luck. But as it turned out, we were, re- were due to record this show on Tuesday, as we are. And in Monday night's game, after three more strong innings, Taiwan Walker left the game with a side injury. And a few innings later, Kevin Pillar, uh, already filling in from the bench because of the injuries the Mets have suffered. A guy who, despite pedestrian stats, seems like he has been right in the middle of, of every big rally this season gets hit in the face with a 94-mile-an-hour fastball and is left bloodied by home plate, uh, somehow manages to get up under his own own power uh, and walk off the field and later tweet that he was okay and point out uh, in the tweet via hashtag that his hit-by-pitch led to the winning run in the game. You are a man of letters, I know, and this feels like a moment absolutely rich with symbolism. I just don't know how to read it. How do you unpack this? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a very scary moment with, with Pilar in particular. Uh, you know, you, you, we've seen uh, some guys get hit up in that area, and you're always hoping, you know, whenever a pitch goes up towards a guy's head, uh, you hope that it, it gets more helmet. Uh, than anything that it doesn't strike them uh, directly in the face the the way this one did with Pilar and uh, you know once you you saw blood immediately uh, a lot a lot of and blood. a lot which which is is very scary you know I, I think after Sunday uh, and you lose Conforto and McNeil I had seen some fans comparing it to 2009 with the Mets and mm-hmm. I thought this is premature 2009 it got absurd. Uh, you had Luis Castillo missing time because he slipped on a glove on the dugout steps. You had John Neese collapsing on the mound, yeah, uh, I was throwing a warm-up it, pitch. I was uh, going to compare it to that John Neese moment when it's like, how could this get any worse? And then, like, and then you have this like really dramatic, awful thing happen. And, and last uh, Monday night seemed to be like, yeah, we're going full 2009 here because you have Walker leaving, and then you have Pilar getting hit in the face. You know the way Wright was hit in the head. Uh, in in August of 2009, mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I thought of uh, originally. The the other thing that I, I, you know, they said it on the broadcast. And I looked it up. Uh, is that Pilar has been hit there before? Uh, yeah, I don't not not quite the same fashion. Uh, but in the chin with with but, 97 from Denelson Lamette. Right, and and the you know they mentioned it that that he came back the next day. I looked it up. He hit 370 for the next week, uh, which is a lot of times you know a guy might come back, but there's kind of a lingering. Uh, and very justifiable uh, fear or anxiety in the batter's terror, box. He didn't show it terror, last time. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it, you know, he had mentioned at that point, at that point, this was two years ago when he was in San Francisco, uh, maybe wearing a C-flap helmet. I do wonder if this is the the one that gets him to, to start wearing that, that helmet that a lot of players have started wearing uh, over the last uh, three or four years uh, to, to provide a little bit more protection uh, of the face itself. 
And I think the the moment was made all the more emotional and and difficult by by watching Braves pitcher Jacob Webb, who uh, you could just see coming unraveled on the mound. It was it was a hard thing to watch. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you see pitchers a lot of times they you know you can tell that they feel bad, uh, but that was uh, maybe the the starkest example of of a guy just really feeling it, uh, you know, on the mound while while they were tending to Pilar. Uh, and the Braves came out to make the pitching change, and then in the dugout afterward, uh, and you know the the cameras stayed on him as as coaches came up to him to try to to calm him down, I guess, or, or uh, <laughs> help him feel a little bit uh, better about about what had happened. Uh, but that was um, you know you realize how how difficult it is on both sides there. That you know when he is next on the mound, he will also have uh, a bit of of anxiety about that, and and maybe. Uh, you know, has to has to regain that that kind of unthinking confidence that comes when you you throw ninety five miles an hour. And like I said, Pilar tweeted that he felt okay, and and you know he did have a cat scan. We don't know how much time he will miss, but his absence in that game left the Mets with an outfield of three players who, and Gary Cohen pointed this out as well, had a combined six career major league at bats. We've been talking a lot about, you know, how impressive this depth was and and going out and signing major league backup players like Jonathan VR and like like Kevin Pillar. Um, and yet here we have this like purely and all teams deal with injuries. Certainly looking at the Atlanta Braves, you see that that Oscar, you know, a guy you mentioned recently who had been their best pitcher this year, punched a, a dugout bench after a bad outing and will be out for months with a broken hand. Ronald Acuna Jr., their, their best player, one of the best players in the majors, uh, you saw on a ball last night, is just clearly not running right. He's he's obviously tentative. He's got an ankle issue going on. So the Mets aren't the only team banged up, but they are almost certainly the team that is the most banged up. Yeah, you know, after the game, Tomas Nito was, was talking to us over Zoom, uh, and he was wearing the, the bench mob t-shirt. Uh, that the, the Mets have had made with their, you know, their five original members of the bench. And, and I thought it was striking, like, that that shirt, you know, you've got Jonathan VR. Those are now Pe- your, yeah, those are your cornerstone guys you've got, now. You've got VR and, P- and Pilar on there. They, they've they both started the last 14 games. We'll obviously see what Pilar's status is moving forward. We'll probably find out more on Tuesday. Because, uh, you know, as much as it, it it is a positive sign that he tweeted, uh, uh, late Monday night that he, he felt okay. You still want to have the kind of a more formal thing than a tweet. Uh, yeah. On the other side of the shirt, you had uh, Albert Almora Jr. Uh, he's on the injured list. Luis Guillorme, he's on the injured list. Uh, so in the middle, it was Nito himself is in the middle of the shirt. He's like the only guy who's still a member of the bench mob um, for, for those guys. You know, you've got guys, you know, VR is going to be in the lineup for the foreseeable future. Uh, you've got Jose Peraza is now an, every, an everyday part of your lineup. Janeshwi Fargus is probably going to be uh, your everyday center fielder, even more so now until Nimmo or Pilar are back. Uh, and then you've got Khalil Lee, who had his first uh, major league at-bat la- uh, on Monday night, and Jake Hager, who had his first major league at-bat over the weekend and had never played right field until he had to play it for, for eight innings on, on Sunday. So uh, there's... A lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, inexperience, and a lot of trying to to tread water here until you get some people back, which the Mets hope happens. You know, within the next, uh, you know, maybe the next seven to ten days with with people like JD Davis and and Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Nimmo and Davis. 
right now on the injured list, the Mets have Jose Martinez, long forgotten, but but on the injured list since the start of the year. Dylan Patances, also largely forgotten and perhaps uh, mercifully on the on the injured list, given how he was pitching. Carlos Carrasco, Albert Almora Jr., Jacob deGrom, Brandon Nimmo, Dave, J.D. Davis, Luis Guillorme, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, Seth Lugo, and Noah Syndergaard. Now, Noah Syndergaard... A guy that I think we, at various points of the season, would have said is the furthest away of so many of the Mets injured players. He's about to make his first rehab appearance on Wednesday in, in Port St. Lucie. Are we going to see Cindergard before we see a bunch of these other guys? Because if if he is, and, and I understand, there's there's you want him to throw his first pitches coming back from that surgery in a controlled environment. And so he won two outings in the minors. You definitely need, because there's going to be adrenaline and there's going to be, you know, it's a different speed. Once you get to the majors, you want to iron out all those last kinks, but I can't see the logic in giving him, you know, a prolonged rehab stint to stretch out if he's good to go and they've got no one on the team. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing that, that first rehab appearance for him will be Wednesday night. Uh, for Port St. Lucie, the, the St. Lucie Mets in low A. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing how long he goes in that. If Is that is that an inning? Is that two innings? Is that like, oh, he can throw four innings now? Because uh, that will tell you how much he needs to build up. Uh, my guess is it's going to be probably two innings or so. Um, and it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, Luis Rojas, when, when talking to the media on Monday, initially said that, that both Lugo and, and Syndergaard were going to pitch for Syracuse, uh, and they're both pitching for St. Lucie. Uh, not only is that like a, a lower level, which tells you they might be a little farther away, uh, but also those levels are not part of the kind of quasi bubble built around a team's major league squad and its AAA team. So for them to get to the major league team from St. Lucie or to get to Syracuse from St. Lucie, they have to undergo a, a couple days of intake testing, uh, which is, you know, not as hard for a, uh, a p- pitcher to do. A pitcher doesn't pitch play every day the way an everyday player does. You can hear it in the titles that we give those 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 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that you know, I think most of the like shorter rehab stints we'll see this year will be in Syracuse. Uh, like you know, Nimmo started one the other day and had to halt it because he was still feeling pain in Syracuse. JD Davis will start one in Syracuse on Tuesday. Uh, but uh, the the pit, you know it it tells you that it's not like a one stint and into the majors for for either Lugo or Syndergaard I think Lugo they had said you know three or four outings where they can get him maybe to to more than one inning to get him back-to-back appearances uh, and he, he was just put on the 60-day the injured list on Monday which is is more of a procedural move like he also now cannot come back until May 31st which seemed pretty close to being the case anyway uh, with Syndergaard I you know I think it's going to be a few starts uh, mm-hmm. you know and I don't think it's one or two and then he's there uh, I think, you know, the, the New York Post, Mike Puma reported uh, that he was going to be with St. Lucie through the end of the month and then they would kind of reassess. So that that probably gives you I'm trying to do the math here. Uh, that's probably three starts with St. Lucie. Uh, and then you, uh, you know, maybe move him up to Syracuse for an additional one or two. And then, you know, that gets you to mid-June where uh, he can he can come back kind of where they thought he might come back all all year long. And then what's the latest on Jacob deGrom? Because maybe there's a there's some glimmer of hope on the horizon there as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he's done his kind of normal between starts work the last few days, leading to uh, a bullpen session on Tuesday. Uh, if that goes well, uh, you know, deGrom usually throws his two bullpen sessions between starts. Uh, so he's kind of operating as if he had started on Sunday. He did 
what he did Monday would be what he does after the day after a start. Tuesday would be his, his first bullpen. Uh, if that goes well, then he kind of can slot, can, you can kind of track him in for a uh, potential Friday start. That's the first day he can come off the uh, injured list, uh, a Friday start in Miami, uh, rejoining the rotation at that point. You know, they, they can, because they've got the day off, like Marcus Stroman can pitch that day. Uh, you know, they don't, it's not like they need to throw uh, a bullpen game or call up someone to make that start if DeGrom can't. Uh, so they have a, cu- a little bit of wiggle room a day or two uh, this weekend. But if all goes well on Tuesday, I think you, you can slot DeGrom in for the weekend at some point against the Marlins. And that feels good. Um, I assume we don't know much more about Conforto and McNeil other than that it's hamstring things and, and those tend to uh, be injuries you want to be kind of slow and careful with lest you lose a guy for the whole season. Yeah, and they haven't uh, they haven't put a grade on either of them. I, I think just just watching it, it seemed like the Conforto one was was more serious. Uh, and and McNeil has had little injuries like this in the past in the in the past couple of years, uh, and has generally come back you know within the ten to fourteen days. Uh, so I, I think that's probably what what their thought process is on that. I'm I'm guessing uh, they haven't actually explicitly said uh, that on on him. Uh, and then Conforto, it might be a bit longer because it just it, it didn't seem like a 10-day injury when he had it uh, running down the line uh, at the trop. So that, that one might be a bit more uh, longer term. They did win the game Monday night, as I mentioned. <laughs> they, are, they are now 19-16 and 16 on the season. They have a, a one-game lead over the Phillies, four games in the loss column because they played so many fewer games uh, in the division. It seems like they're... They are held together with like feathers and and children's glue stick, like not even the the appropriate glue. I'm just this is I'm pulling examples from my own kitchen, uh, looking <laughs> right now at some craft feathers and glue sticks. Um, it's, it's all improvisational here. Uh, are there is there a path through this for the Mets? Is there a way that they can sort of because we we've heard this so many times, right? Like with with the Mets over the years, like. Let's just stay the course, like hold, hold down the fort, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use, cock the wagon um, until the reinforcements arrive. Is, is that feasible? I mean, I, I think the, the path through is kind of the, the blueprint you saw on Monday night, which is really good pitching. I mean, that was uh, an outstanding game from, the, you know, it it's, reminds me of like the, the Astros six pitcher no hitter. Like the, the game did not, the, the, the pitching plan did not go according to plan, but you got really good outings from just about everyone. I mean, I think Trevor I guess, Bay's the only one. I would one. say I didn't, I didn't envision a situation in which in the middle of May we'd be like, is Sean Reed Foley the Mets MVP? <laughs> right, that we've talked to him after several games this year. I did not, not expect that. Uh, you know, between uh, Taiwan Walker, Sean Reed Foley, Jerry's Familia, I mean, the Braves got to the, the seventh inning, it got into the eighth inning, and their only hit was a seeing eye single. By, by starting pitcher Max Reed. Uh, that was their only base runner at that point. Uh, and they, you know, they, they made it a little scary against against May and Diaz. So, you know, the Mets, they need to win the game started by their healthy starters, uh, which <laughs> I guess is down to Marcus Stroman and David Peterson, uh, and when DeGrom comes back. Um, and then they need, uh, they need to continue to get um, kind of unexpected contributions from some of their long relievers like Reed Foley, you know, we're, we're talking Tuesday morning. We don't know who's going to start the game Tuesday night for the Mets, uh, whether it's uh, them using an opener for someone like Joey Luce- Lucchese or, or Robert Gazelman 
Uh, they need those guys to pitch uh, reasonably well. Lucchese has been uh, the one in the, the in that mix who hasn't pitched well to this point. Uh, and then they need their 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 healthy everyday players uh, that are you were planned to be in the starting lineup to produce. So that's Francisco Lindor, that's James McCann, that's Dominic Smith. You know, guys who to this point have not had their usual level of success. Uh, you know, Smith I think is coming around. Uh, had a couple more hits or, or one hit last night uh, and has, has looked better at the plate. Really, the last you know, pretty much the whole month of May after. Uh, uh, a, a struggling April. Lindor is got there and then had a, a rough series at Tampa, uh, and then McCann had a big hit off the bench on on Monday night. So you, you hope that's the start of something for him to build some confidence, get rolling a little bit. You know they're facing a fair amount of left-handers uh, and and have the last couple of days, and that's generally McCann's strength. So you're you're hoping that that leads to something for him. Uh, you know you need those are the guys who are going to need to carry you offensively because I just. I don't know how much you can count on on uh, Jose Peraza and Janeshwi Fargus in the the bottom of the lineup to to do what what you know what they've done so far. Peraza has, has played pretty well, and, and Fargus had a big hit on on Monday. And of course, they need to sign you on a Cespedes. That is, you know, that's I, I was looking at different options. It's amazing how many free agent outfielders that are, have Mets connections because it's like. You went to Cespedes. Jose Bautista is officially listed as a free agent uh, on the list I looked at. Austin Jackson. Uh, it's it's a bunch of guys who have played for the Mets in the outfield in the not too distant past. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, you know the the list of of players who are available uh, is not inspiring. Yeah, someone got. I mean, uh, like I officially, I I would ride with Johannes Cespedes forever, right? Like just because of uh his his production for for the Mets when when he came over after the trade and the next season and just like how absolutely cool that guy was as a baseball player between you know first his at bat music about himself um and later you know the Lion King in, intro just and like the 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 swagger he had I feel like I there would always be a place for Cespedes on my team but I I sort of half jokingly tweeted that they should do it and a couple of people got really mad at me. Like, you know, we're like, really? I don't, I don't know. It's just to be clear, it's not going to happen, right? This is a guy who last year uh, sort of like suddenly disappeared on this very team. He, he was well within his rights to opt out of the season, um, but apparently he did so without a ton of communication. I can't imagine that left a, a good taste in, in, in anybody's mouth there. He's a guy we know uh marches to the beat of his own drummer um there's a, a lot of context necessary there i think for understanding it and, uh, and i would i would defend him for that too because he's so awesome at baseball and has had such a insane life it seems um but it's not going to happen they're not going to sign Cespedes. You, you you stay the course and and because by the time he'd come back uh, by the time he'd be ready nemo should be back and davis should be back and and maybe mcneil and maybe Elmore should be back so Pump the brakes on that. I still love the idea. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I recognize it as unrealistic. Did you say that you tweeted something about Juanes Cespedes and got a polarized, divisive reaction yeah, from I it? Yeah, oh, It's I hard to believe. Know. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it's it's Twitter. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We have a good question from a reader that is not about injuries uh, for, uh, for the Mets. And I thought that would be a nice change of pace. This comes from Andrew, who's asked this question before. Um, we got to actually, I should say, we got a lot of really good questions now in the queue. Um, so thanks for emailing. And, and if you have one, uh, please direct it at us on Twitter at Tim Britton or me at OG Ted Berg or email us at asktedberg at gmail.com. Andrew wants to know, he says, I want to know what is your, what your favorite ballpark to travel to is and, and also your least favorite. So uh, we both, I mean, I think you for being a beat writer for many years, uh, have certainly done a lot more traveling than I have, but I've seen, I've been to most, the overwhelming majority of major league parks. I think I've never been to a game in, I've been spent plenty of time in Tampa. I've never been to a game in, uh, in at a Rays home game uh, because I've only been in Tampa for spring. Uh, I've never uh, been to the Braves new stadium, never been to the Rangers new stadium. I believe that's it for active stadiums for me. Um, I, have you been to all 30? Uh, I've, I've been in all 29 of the 30. I haven't been in the new one in, in Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've been in San Diego and Arizona uh, for, well, I've, I went to the, the team store in San Diego and I stayed across the street. So I guess I haven't actually been in the stadium proper. And then Arizona, I went for a press conference, but not for a game. So uh, those are the, the, the two that I, the, the three, I guess now that I haven't been to, uh, but I, I've hit the other 27. What's your number one? Who uh, probably it's probably San Francisco just because mm-hmm. it's you know like this question is always there's a there's two different ways to answer it there's like what's what's yeah. can, what's a cool stadium that a fan would really enjoy going to and then there what's what's cool as a, a a writer to go to because our experience is different than than a fan's experience like the positioning of the press box matters so like i love oh, and in, in pack in whatever they're calling it at&t park or I, I don't even know the current name uh but san francisco it's, it's it's perfect it's like the best the best press box view in in the country right so like you know i i really like pittsburgh uh, as well for the view but that that press box is very high i think it's second highest in the majors outside of washington uh which means you know, different things about like having to get down to the clubhouse at the end of the night or something like that. Uh, so um, San Francisco combines kind of both element. Like it's a great place to see a game as a fan. There's a lot of different viewpoints. The The view is really nice uh, and it is super convenient uh, as a member of the press that you are very low behind home plate. I think the, the three the three stadiums where you feel particularly low uh, and close to the action are, are San Francisco, Baltimore, uh, which doesn't have air conditioning in the press box, which Oof. is a real problem in the middle of a Baltimore summer, uh, and then and then Tampa actually. So so as much as like the, everything about the atmosphere at the Trop is miserable. Um, like I've covered playoff games there, I've covered walk off home runs in playoff games there, uh, and it gets loud, but it's still like not the same as it would be at other locations. Uh, but for a, a a beat writer, for a member of the press, it is so convenient there because. Uh, the press box is low. You can like see the movement on the pitches in a way you can't at most other places. Uh, and you can just like run down to the clubhouse. It's like 10 steps down to the clubhouse. Uh, and the clubhouses are nice and large. So like when you're covering a team that is having, say, a champagne celebration in the visiting clubhouse, 
you want the trop to be the place where it happens because there's actual room to move around. So I'm, I'm taking you weren't at the uh, the Mets celebration in in Wrigley in in 2015. You know, yeah, I, I was not there for that. I cannot imagine that that was was comfortable. Like I, you know, covering every once in a while, hopping over to the Road Clubhouse at Fenway for some big playoff events. Like I remember when when David Ortiz hit the the grand slam in the ALCS and Tory Hunter flipped over the wall. Like the the crowd around Tory Hunter in the visiting clubhouse was the entire clubhouse. Like yeah, no one else yeah. could be. It was it was like him and like fifty people of the media, and that was all that could fit in that room. Yeah, a Red Sox playoff game. There's there's a zero percent chance you're going to hear a single thing. Like the <laughs> the guy could be in the center of the scrum on like a, an insane racist tirade, and you would have no idea. You wouldn't even let your editor know. Like, hey, this guy just said some really crazy stuff. That's going to make a lot of headlines because you would have no idea until you went back and, and reviewed the the audio. Like you just have to stand so far and, and it's just such a crazy crush. Um, but from I, I don't know. So for me, San Diego is the nicest park in, in baseball. I just think it's it's so beautifully done. Uh, I have I went to the All-Star game there. So I, I have covered the games. I have covered games there. I think I may have gone there and covered like one other game when I was in Southern California anyway and like basically just like didn't want to pay for a ticket so I went in with my with my card and wrote a, wrote a story um probably another type of thing I should I should admit in a professional <laughs> forum but um that's how it goes for me sometimes if I'm in a city and 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 I've uh I've, you know this is when I was in, when I had a, a place to publish these things you can always just sort of walk in and and uh write a story if you want to see a ball game um and so I, I love San Diego uh I just think the way the park is is like built into the city is is so incredible and I love that they didn't go all of the new parks, you know, are like the the retro, like the city field is, and and certainly Camden Yards is, was the first of them, and so there's that like that retro feel to me is like a, a little bit done. Like once once Camden Yards did it, and 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 PNC and and the 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 first wave of those parks, it was like it's cool to see a more contemporary design, um, and I love the way you know. It's easy to make something cool in San Diego because San Diego is so beautiful and the weather is constantly perfect, but they did it right there. Um, I would also say, you know, in terms of travel, um, because you, you mentioned San Francisco and like while San Francisco is awesome and the park is incredible, uh, from my experience as media, it's so expensive to say anywhere near San Francisco that you like while the ballpark is is in a walkable downtown area. You don't stay in that walkable downtown area. I'm staying in like Daly City and I have to either take an, uh, a very long Uber ride or, or rent a car and deal with parking. And like that stuff is all sort of a headache. Um, whereas uh, Kansas City is, I think Kauffman Stadium is, is a wildly underrated stadium. It's n in no way a walkable downtown stadium. It is out on the outskirts of the city. But Kansas City is an extremely drivable place. Like you can just get from one side of Kansas City to the other in uh, however many miles it is. It's that many minutes. It's like, you know, you, you look at the, the Google Maps and, and surprise yourself. Um, and I, I just like I have, a I guess, a, a, a soft spot in my heart as a Shea Stadium product of, of sorts for the, the old municipal uh perfectly symmetrical perfectly symmetrical like 1955 through 1975 ballpark and so uh love love Coppin stadium love dodger stadium too yeah like i, I wonder if that is uh, a, a thing that 
Shea Stadium, people who grew up with Shea Stadium feel a natural affinity for Kauffman Stadium because I think it's probably the stadium that plays the closest to what Shea mm-hmm. played like. Because like when I would do when I would play like what if sports or something, and you you put your team in a a stadium, I would I would pick Shea or Kauffman essentially because they yeah. they were you know favored toward pitchers, but not too much. Uh, they had the symmetrical design, so you know everything played the same in right field as in left field, and in the gaps the same way. Uh, that is one thing I dislike about City. The, probably my biggest problem with City Field is that uh, the outfield wall is just a total mess in terms of uh, angles and uh, yeah. weird it's quirks a, in it. And like it's a gimmick, it's a gimmick, right? Like, and, and I and it makes sense at Fenway Park where, where you're building it into the city, where you have to make the the right one. Like, if you think of how Fenway Park was built, or look into how Fenway Park was built, like there are whole sections of seating that don't really face the right angle because they just sort of had to cram everything into to the space they had. City Field is in the middle of a parking lot, right? Like a a, a budding uh, a section of, of New York City that doesn't have running water. Like they could have they could have made this symmetrical. There's no reason for it to have like the Moses of. Yeah, like my, my number one pet peeve is, is that, and this is this goes for every park, but it, I guess it's, it's not the Moses. Do they have a? Is it still branded in any way? The what used to be the Moses zone because now Moses is gone, right? Like the the Moses zone has outlasted the the Mose. Yeah, I, I don't even I, I don't know what it it's called. I don't know if they, I don't think they've had people there. I mean, it was a it was a gym last year. Like you could saw the workout equipment for players. Um, like I, I you know when it when a player hits a home run, I think everyone should know that it is a home run. Uh, and so I don't like when balls go over the fence or over the line on the fence, course, rebound yeah. into play, and no one knows what's going on. Uh, and that that's true at several different parks. Uh, you know, uh, there are there are other really distinctive parks that I like a lot. Seattle. Uh, I think is really nice. Um, you know, I, I, I like, uh, I said Pittsburgh, Fenway, having worked at Fenway was was phenomenal. Uh, I like Marlins Park. Uh, I, I like it a little bit less now that it doesn't have the home run statue and the, the green walls because I thought that really stood out. You knew like you were at a different game when you were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's a cool thing about different parks uh, that they don't really have anymore. Um, but those are Those are my favorites. What is your least favorite? What is the one you don't like going to? uh that's a good question um i mean it's i hate like (laughs) i'm reminded of a tweet from uh the athletics andy mccullough who uh and i forget how he worded it but he said something about like on marriott's website it says uh where where do you want to go today and i always feel a little disingenuous typing in st louis (laughs) and uh you know i'm there are really nice parts of st louis and nice things about st louis and good food you can have in st louis but um one time while staying in st louis like uh so where the the ballpark is in sort of a downtown area but it's like a very sort of one thin strip of very touristy commercial downtown area which has like the arch and the ballpark and a bunch of things that, that cater to all the tourists who come see those things. Um, and so if you stay there, like where I was staying one, one year in the playoffs, the closest place to get coffee for me was inside a casino. So every time I want, and I drink a ton of coffee. So every time I wanted non-hotel coffee, I had to go into a casino past one of my weaknesses, the roulette tables. Um, and so it was like every coffee cost me 45 bucks. Um, and, um, and like, just, uh, there's, I don't want to, I don't want to like, I could, I could talk for a while about St. Louis. I, I don't love going to St. Louis and the, the park is fine. It's, it's, to, that's like, it's, to me, it's like completely bland park. It's just like one of these run of the mill newer stadiums. Um, so there's nothing really that stands out about it. Um, and 
the experience as because I, I, you know, I love traveling and I, and I love I loved traveling covering baseball games because like I love seeing different cities and and uh, to me the St. Louis experience was was never the most pleasant for for a visiting city. Yeah, I think that's one where the the ballpark itself is fine. You know, it, it's like you said, it's it's kind of one of those later modern ballparks, uh, modern throwback ballparks. So you know, places like St. Louis and Cincinnati and and Washington uh, don't stand out quite the same way that some mm-hmm. of the other others designed similarly do. Uh, and it is uh, it's inconvenient for uh, a writer. Uh, the the press box is is pretty high, and it's it's difficult. You got to fight through the crowd to get down to the the clubhouse after a game, which is not great because the first games I covered there were in the World Series, so there were a lot of people. Um, and uh, the area around, yeah, there's like you know uh, this is this is inside beat reporting, but sometimes you like to get a drink after the game. Uh, and the area around the ballpark in St. Louis did not have like places that were open at midnight uh, or past midnight. Uh, and that is frustrating because, uh, you know, you, you cover a game, you want to go and decompress a little bit uh, with, with perhaps a beverage. Uh, and St. Louis, it is difficult to find uh, such a location uh, late at night. Um, so that, that is, that's one I, I don't like. I think the, the AL West, in terms of ballpark, uh, Oakland is, is not, not great and we're not, not telling any new tales there. Mm-hmm. Um, Anaheim when they, they moved the press box out to right field which I still I, I sat in that press box once and I couldn't see like anything that was going on the sun was you, glaring you right can, into you can't really see the plate you, you have to like <laughs> crane to see the batter I've, I've also covered a game there yeah uh, and so they've got like the small little jerry-rigged press box behind home plate uh, that they'll, they'll seat some people in that I always managed to, to work my way into but there there's like no access to water or other soft drinks which uh, is fine, except I once covered a game that went at, at least 19 innings there. I forget if it was 19, 20, 18, something like that. Uh, Mike Trout hit a big home run. Um, so, you know, you get thirsty over the course of a six-and-a-half-hour baseball game. Uh, and then, actually, the, the Mets are in Atlanta. Uh, I've had most of my most miserable reporting experiences have been in Atlanta because of long rain delays. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't matter if it's Turner Field or Truist Park. Uh, I preferred Turner Field. It was closer to anything else that was interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, having like the, the Mets played a Memorial Day day-night doubleheader uh, in Atlanta in 2018. Uh, and I had to fly in from Milwaukee that morning, uh, get there, like, kind of like go straight from the airport to the ballpark for a 1 p.m. game, uh, which they played. They lost on a walk-off home run. Mets fans may remember it. Uh, it was, I believe, Charlie Culberson hit the home run uh, off of Seth Lugo. Uh, and then uh, the night game, which, you know, the, the day game ends at four. The night game was scheduled to start at seven, was delayed three hours by rain. So it didn't start until 10. Uh, and the, the Mets won that game. Uh, but I, you know, I'd been at the ballpark from like 1030 in the morning till two in the morning uh, the next day uh, before I finally got to leave. So I don't like Atlanta for long rain delays. You mentioned that the Mets are in Atlanta. They play uh, two more starting Tuesday. They got, they got teams Tuesday. We don't know who's pitching. And Wednesday, when it will be David Peterson, then they got a day off Thursday and, and back Friday against the Marlins going to Miami. And we will be back at some point before that Marlins series to talk about these next two games and all of the new injuries that the Mets might meet inside of them. Tim, it is always a pleasure. Adios. Peace out.